Hello and welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about expatriates and the artistic way they've styled their lives around the world. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. Find yourself shipwrecked in a far off place and Dale, welcome to the show. <laughs> Try not to plan too much at all. You know, just be spontaneous. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. I'm gonna sail again. Give me one more. I got one more sailing. Love her, but leave her wild. But it didn't work for me. The American dream wasn't gonna work for me because I didn't fit the American dream. I had respect when I was a young child. Now I'm an old guy, and I respect myself. You know what, Jacob? I'm a secret fan. And I prefer to just be secret. And if you can figure out who Dale Dagger is, then figure it out. And if you can't, then don't. Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about expatriates who have chosen to live abroad, far away from their home country, and try to make a life for themselves and their families. And we are trying to uncover the psyche and the personality of the individuals who have chosen this lifestyle. I myself have found them very interesting on my travels over the years and think they have something to offer the people who are still living in these countries who might have the itch to go out and spread their wings and maybe move abroad and and test themselves and the adventures that they might have dreamed of at one point in their life. So today we have an Irishman, Johnny McGlynn, a 32-year-old Irishman who has been traveling for about 10 and a half years, half of which was with a backpack the other half, which was as a professional. And we're interested in trying to get to the bottom of what motivated him to start these travels and what motivates him to stay on the road as a professional living in these far off places and just see how he's done it and see what kind of uh, experience he's had and, and what types of things really motivate him to keep going. Johnny's uh, especially interesting because he's making a living for himself, specializing in ocean energies, but he also is an expert in other types of renewable energies also and consults for fairly big companies, I assume, Johnny. So <laughs> why don't we welcome him to the show now and uh, we'll, we'll get into his life on the road. Johnny, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Chapin. How are you doing? It's a pleasure to have you for the first episode of Misfits and Rejects. And I hope you don't take offense to that because it's really about these, I think, beautiful people of the world who um, have chosen a unique lifestyle for themselves. And I want to kind of help other people see the the beauty behind that. So welcome and uh, let's get right to it. So how did you start traveling, John? And what, what made you want to get out there and, and see the world? Yeah, like you say, I come from Ireland. So uh, for people who haven't been there, it's a pretty small uh, place with terrible weather. So traditionally, people have always sort of looked abroad, you know, either for short-term holidays or, you know, emigrated like to the United States or to Argentina, South Africa, England. So um, I think, you know, back before the Great Famine, you know, 1830s, 1840s, it was 8 million people in Ireland. Hmm. And nowadays there's four. So people have always traditionally left. And I think a little bit of that kind of was passed on to me. But um I guess the experience in my life that really started setting me off on this path, traveling, exploring the world was through my parents, you know. So we went abroad for trips when uh, I was small, I guess starting around when I was around eight or nine. 
Um, we traveled to different places. We went to the east coast of the U.S., we went to Morocco, we went to Turkey, uh, Spain, Portugal, these kind of places. Nothing too adventurous, you know, just short sun holidays while my dad was on holidays from work. He was a builder, like a bricklayer, mm. and he'd take us away, you know. So instead of going to somewhere in Ireland, we started to look abroad, you know. So that's what really uh, planted the seed for kind of being more interested in what was happening outside of Ireland. I specifically remember going to Morocco when I was maybe 12 and the guys who were there in this kind of tourist place that we were in could speak like seven, eight, nine languages. You know, and this one guy, I, I remember speaking to him specifically in the Irish language, which is like practically dead in Ireland. Uh, but this guy, you know, he'd obviously come, he had an interest in languages. He rubbed shoulders with, you know, Irish tourists or whatever, but he could hold a conversation in Irish. And that kind of gave me an appetite for, uh, you know, saying if this guy can do it, maybe I can learn a little bit more about other cultures as well. That's fascinating. So it sounds like, yeah, that Moroccan experience kind of set you in a direction to really explore. And, and you also speak Spanish, I know. So maybe that kind of whet your appetite for learning new languages. Yeah. So Spanish was something I learned later uh, in life. And yeah, certainly has helped uh, to be able to do that. Yeah. So uh, in school, we studied uh, in Ireland, it's obligatory to study Gaelic, which is like the official language of the country, even though very, very few people actually speak it. So uh, don't use that language now, but it gave me the, the basis to kind of understand Spanish and pick it up a bit quicker maybe later in life. Interesting. Interesting. Well, why don't we talk more about that, your education and a little bit of your background and, and where you came from, educationally speaking. Yeah. So I grew up in Dublin, um, pretty standard, you know, in the, in the south of Dublin in the suburbs. Uh, I played rugby growing up, pretty normal kid, uh, and I went to school in UCD. So I studied international business uh, in UCD, which is like the second biggest university in Ireland. So all very standard. Uh, I actually missed out on a law degree uh, by like, you know, we have this point system in Ireland and I missed out on it by like a very slender margin. But uh, thankfully, like in, in hindsight, it's like the best thing that ever happened because as I learned more about myself, it really wasn't, probably wasn't a career for me. So yeah, so I did um, an undergraduate Bachelor of Commerce course. Uh, I finished that just as I turned 21, pretty much. Um, it was free of charge, thankful, uh, thanks to the, the Irish state. And after that, um, I kind of had an itch to travel. So most Irish people traditionally uh, go to Australia. You know, it's kind of the easy destination to go, has good weather, speaks English. Um, whereas I kind of felt a bit more adventurous you know I didn't really think that a year abroad in Australia before coming back and starting my career would, would actually be that exciting so I had a good friend from Argentina from Buenos Aires who I knew through a job that I had in college and uh, he really got me interested and excited about visiting Argentina and Buenos Aires so um, I traveled over there just around as I turned 21 and uh, yeah for a year abroad which was like my first long I guess, travel experience abroad. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So you're fresh out of college. You say, Australia's not for me. I'm going to go to Argentina. And was that when you really, you went to tackle the Spanish language? That was yeah. your, that was your goal. Yeah. I think that was part of the goal. You know, it was a, my, my number one thing was to have an interesting experience and an interesting story. But yeah, I did want to pick up Spanish, you know, so it's something I'd never studied in school. But, you know, a little bit more, I had done a little bit of French and Irish, but they're not the most useful languages for someone who's interested in working globally. So, um, yeah, Spanish was something that I thought I wanted to learn. 
Um, that's one of the main things I went to, went there to do, but really it was just to have fun. You know, that was the main idea was to travel and explore and to experience, um, you know, a bigger city like Buenos Aires, I think has, I don't know, 10, 12 million people, which is what, three times the size of my entire country, you know, so, uh, wanted to, wanted to get out there and, and see what sites it had and it had quite an interesting history and ties to Ireland. So yeah, my friend Fernando kind of talked me into it. And, uh, yeah, away I went. And my very first experience, you know, landing in, in Argentina, you know, I was on my own, uh, you know, had all my bags and everything I had packed meticulously to take away with me, got in and went through immigration and then uh, got a taxi to a hostel, you know, that I read from like the Lonely Planet or something like that. And as I was getting out of the taxi, I took my small bag, you know, which had my passport, my camera and, uh, you know, other smaller things in it and got out of the taxi to take the, uh, my bigger bag out of the trunk and the taxi man just sped off, you know? <laughs> so my very first experience in Latin America within, you know, an hour landing was uh, getting robbed of uh, really what turned out to be non-critical items, you know? And in, and in the long term, it actually really helped, you know, it was kind of like an interesting like experience of starting anew, you know, with absolutely nothing, you know, uh, but it was just clothes and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, I guess that kind of set me up and uh, and started me off. But I should say before giving Latin America bad, nothing bad happened to me again, I guess, for another 10 years. So I think that was getting my bad karma out of the way and getting my shock experience, you know, uh, out of the way right at the start. So, wow, that's really interesting. So you get off the plane, robbed right away. But in the end, it turned out to be naturally a positive experience where I think a lot of people might have perceived that as a negative and, oh, this this is not this sucks. Like, why would this happen to me now? I'm just going to go home and, and, and not do this trip. So why don't you go more into like the types of things that happened to you after that and the things that you did for that time you spent in Argentina? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess after that experience, I had to buy myself some new pairs of jeans or whatever, but, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, bounced back and stuck with the plan, which was to get a job teaching English in Buenos Aires. So I guess I was lucky, but also had been kind of advised by my Argentinian friend, you know, the best time of year to turn up, or I was trying to time it with the start of the university, uh, um, what do they call it, semesters, you know, so start of the university year, which down there was in February. So I had arrived in the middle of January with the intention of trying to find a job to start with the beginning of the semester. So as luck would have it, uh, the University of Buenos Aires, which is the large state university, I think it has 18 campuses across the city, was under a bit of pressure to look to find English teachers, particularly native English speaking teachers, to uh, teach English that semester. So, um, yeah, I ended up working for them. I had my own classes for four days a week and then I did um, substitute teaching on Fridays. So it was a brilliant experience, really, really positive Learned a lot about myself, uh, got over a lot of my fears of speaking in front of people. And um, yeah, all in all, it was really great. And I think for them, they were quite interested to get like a young person who actually didn't speak Spanish because they felt like because they didn't speak Spanish, the students would end up hearing more English overall and that would improve their learning experience. So I did that for um, two semesters, so about eight months. And then I left, I traveled around uh, the north of Argentina uh, up to the desert area, and then I spent two and a half months in Bolivia, which uh, was a really interesting experience and, and a really cool place. Went all over the country, and that kind of a. Uh, at the end of that, I flew. I spent a few days in Rio and flew back, flew back home to Ireland, thinking that uh, that was my traveling done forever. You know, I I had ticked that box, and it was time to get on with my career. 
Interesting. So let's dive into more of the, the language part of it. So you were there for a year. How did, how did that progress for you and how was the experience of learning a new language for you? Okay. Yeah. So when I turned up, I didn't have a word. Like when I was trying to deal with that taxi driver or, or with the, with the people in the hostel who uh, were trying to explain what happened with the taxi driver, you know, I had numbers one to 10 and please and thank you. Oh, that was about it. So, um, I kind of went for an immersion experience. So, uh, my, you know, I realized that I would need to learn the language pretty quick, you know, so um, what I decided to do or what I looked for was a kind of a, a shared living experience with uh, non-English speakers. So I found a house in uh, Palermo, which is like a really nice area of, um, of Buenos Aires or cool and up and coming area of Buenos Aires. And yeah, shared a house with about 13 or 14 students from all over Latin America. So we had a couple of brothers from Peru some people from Brazil, some people from elsewhere in Argentina, uh, Ecuador, Venezuela, and I was the only uh, non-Spanish speaker. So I guess at the start, you know, they must have thought I was a robot. You know, I couldn't really say very much. Then I progressed to being able to talk about, you know, I have one brother and I like football, you know, and then, you know, after a couple of months, I felt like uh, I had a much better handle on the uh, on the language situation. So, um, yeah, I think... In terms of the language, I think after about six months, I think I was there in terms of being able to express uh, what I wanted to express, express a little bit of personality, and also, I think, importantly, understanding what people were, uh, were were saying to me, you know. So, really, it was an immersion experience, like, very frustrating and annoying at times, but, um, you know, between the people that I live with, the job, and, like, movies and TV and that kind of stuff, with just going for for six months, I think I had a pretty good handle on, on Spanish by the end of it. And were you studying every day, like uh, flashcards or in your books or something like this? Yeah, I, I, I studied language a couple of times before, like through Gaelic and through French. Um, so yeah, I was doing a bit, you know, I had maybe, I think the university also gave me about two hours free tuition a week as part of like my package for working for them. Um, so yeah, I was doing a bit, but I wasn't, you know, most of it was trying to speak to people and, uh, I guess make mistakes when you're speaking to people, you know? So I don't know if someone's interested in learning a language, probably the number one thing that helped me was like, I kept, it's quite nerdy, I guess, but like I kept a little notebook and every day, you know, if I heard, or not if, when I heard something that I didn't understand, I would write it down, you know, like what I thought I heard. And then, um, you know kind of keep it to three, four or five things a day because otherwise you feel a bit overrun. So write those things down. And then next time you're in a situation where you're teaching someone English, they're teaching you Spanish, you say, hey, I have this little notebook. What do these five things mean? You know. So after about three or four weeks of doing that, you actually have addressed a lot of the stuff that you hear on a day-to-day basis. You know, you don't really, you know, you say the same things kind of over and over again, especially if you're meeting new people and in a new situation like I was there. So I think that was probably the number one thing that helped me even I look, if I looked like a complete geek, you know, when I was going around, you know, or, or maybe some kind of amateur journalist or whatever, scribbling my notepad every 10 minutes. That's great, Johnny, because I think a lot of people go to these places and by just living there, they think they're going to learn the language. Like myself, I've lived in Latin America for about eight years and, and my Spanish is still terrible because I didn't ever make that type of effort that you did with the full immersion, you know, really subjecting myself to not knowing that uncomfortable sort of social social dynamic you have with people when you're just staring at each other. And I think it's really important for listeners to understand, like, 
by just living in these countries doesn't mean you're going to learn the language very fast. Like you really have to put yourself out there every day in uncomfortable situations and, and just tread water long enough until you start to figure it out, which is, I think what you did. And you did a great job by describing to our listeners how you did it with the notebook. I think that's a great tool to use. And I think people can really benefit from that. Just knowing like if you're going to live there, the only way you're going to learn the language is by putting the time, you know, you don't really, Unless you're just gifted, you don't really learn it without putting in the time. So thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of our listeners would like to know a little bit about how you were able to finance this year in Argentina. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so in Ireland, like I said earlier, I think uh, we're lucky enough to have a state-funded third-level education. So you do have to pay a bit, you know, um, but it's, I can't remember, maybe a few thousand a year or three or four thousand a year. So uh, I've always had jobs, you know, odd jobs. I worked in a bar when I was 14. Um, I've done all sorts of stuff. I worked in a dog food factory. I worked delivering cash in armored vans. I did all sorts of bits and pieces. But while I was in college, I worked uh, in like a, a fancy hotel in Dublin. So I did some uh, banqueting work. So worked there at the weekends or Thursday, Friday nights. And that paid enough, you know, to be able to save for my air ticket and whatnot, you know, a bit of spending money when I went abroad. So... Uh, definitely going there, I had to find some work to sustain me. But, uh, yeah, I think saving work, saving money during the college year or during the year beforehand, before I went, when I was studying, uh, helped to fund it. So, um, yeah, that's the answer. You know, basically, uh, try and earn as much money as you need to pay your rent and your food while you're there, you know, but pay for your travel and, uh, I guess, fun activities or whatever from some money that you saved beforehand. That, that's what worked for that trip anyway. That's good advice. Very good advice. At what point, I guess, during that year or the subsequent travels you had after that, did you start to really know that this might be a lifestyle that you want to have, like living abroad mm -hmm. permanently, you know, yeah. away from Ireland? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So after I was in Argentina and Bolivia for that first year, uh, you know, like I said, I felt like the plan was that that was my travel experience done, you know, so it was time to go home and, uh, you know, start off on my, on my career, you know, and whatever other ambitions I had at the time. So, uh, I moved home and I got a job in uh, an independent stockbroker in Dublin. You know, I had this idea that I, I wanted to be a stockbroker. Not sure why really in hindsight, but, uh, I guess it appealed to me for some reason. And, uh, yeah, I ended up, I got a job there and, you know, seven, I think I lasted about seven months, you know, and the, the first kind of month I thought, this is fantastic. Wow. You know, these high value trades going back and forth and, you know, it's so dynamic and exciting, but, you know, by the third or fourth month, I was like, I realized that the travel bug was well and truly in me and I was planning uh, my escape, you know, already. So, so yeah, I, I think that answers the question, does it? Yeah, it does. So, so then, so you did seven months and that whole time. So four months into it, you felt like there was that travel bug had set it, set its grips inside of you and you're thinking about your next move. So then you saved for that next trip throughout that seven months and then left immediately after. Or how did that kind of next phase of travel come up? Yeah. Um, I think around about the same time, uh, I was 23 then or 22. Uh, something important in my life happened where I started to surf, you know, so I moved to the west coast of Ireland at that point. Uh, I lived there over the course of one winter and I started to pick up surfing. So 
as well at the same time, you know, when I realized the finance side of things or the, the stockbroking side of things wasn't for me, I did have a big interest in renewable energies and renewable energy finance, you know, so uh, I could kind of identify, you know, I always had an interest in alternative energies. So um, you could kind of see at that point, you know, back in 2005, 2006, that things were starting to happen, particularly with solar energy and wind energy. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I think the two of those together, yeah, the interest in surfing or starting picking up the surfing and um, yeah, a growing interest in renewable energies started to define how my next trip abroad would look and what my priorities would be. So yeah, I, I moved back to the northwest of Ireland or moved to the northwest of Ireland uh, for six months with some friends that I, I had there who were, who were surfers, picked that up. And then in February of the next year, so basically a year after I had come home from Argentina, uh, I traveled again. So I went to Rio where I started off or where I'd left off the last time and explored Brazil for a couple of months. Then I traveled up the Amazon for a week on like a, a ridiculously slow boat in a hammock. Uh, I traveled through Peru, through Ecuador, and I guess the goal was to reach as far as Mexico. And on the way, it took me about a year to get there, but on the way, uh, I found Nicaragua and uh, a volunteering opportunity there uh, to work with a charity group doing solar uh, solar projects with local communities and, all, and and also other alternative energy projects. So I decided to stay there, volunteered there for a while, and met some interesting people, uh, including yourself, in Nicaragua that kind of a made me decide to stay there for a little longer. <clears throat> Yeah, so that's yeah, that's great. So that's where we did meet, Johnny. Yeah, Nicaragua. And I remember the day that you came marching in with a friend of yours, George Hazelton, Hazeltron, as we call him. <laughs> He's a brilliant older gentleman uh, who I've learned a lot from over the years. And uh, he said, "You should hire this Irish guy. He's got everything going for him." And I said, "Oh, well, we'll see about that." And uh, yeah, your personality shined, and uh, we needed some some help on the boats and. You were passionate about surfing and it kind of was a perfect fit. You stayed for quite a few years, actually, and we got to know each other really well and share some amazing experiences. Um, as you noted, in, in these places that we find ourselves, it's sometimes you're faced with challenges that you might not um, have every day. And I think that really brings out the character of, of who you are. And, and when you're encountering things that you've never encountered before, you just kind of respond in, in a natural way that you learn like, oh, wow. I didn't know that I could do that or, Oh wow. Like I completely failed at that and I need to work on that within myself. And yeah, we had some fun times, really fun times, mm -hmm. I think. And maybe one that stands out is in fact, a, a robbery that we had had, um, or we were, we were being robbed with, without us really knowing by some of the locals, they were stealing the gas off the boat mm -hmm. and, um, somebody or somehow we, we had that someone brought that to our attention. And so, you and I and a few of the other boys set up a sting operation to uh, to catch this guy to corner him. And I remember having a meeting. It was going to be we were going to spring the trap on him late at night. And uh, my partner and I at the time we put our like we felt like we were Navy SEALs. We put our wetsuits on and we swam out to the boat with uh, um, I don't even know. I think we had just like a little stick that if we happened to encounter somebody we might we might do him harm in some way. But in actuality, what happened was we actually swam out to the boat and uh, he was already on there robbing, robbing us. So we sprung our trap. We jumped on the boat. He actually jumped off the boat, swam away in the dark, got away. But um, we spent the whole night running around town trying to find this individual, which 
I mean, it's a memory that I'll never forget. And I think you won't either because it was, it was fun in its own way. I mean, never, it's never fun to get robbed, but as you pointed out with your first experience, it parlays into so many, um, new relationships or new experiences. If you don't, if you don't let it get to you and you just go on with business and life, I don't, do you have anything to add to that, that, that I left out? Well, I think, uh, you know, it was, it was maybe a positive experience for, for the guy who got caught as well. So, uh, you know, he was maybe setting a little bit of a, a straighter road than he was on before. So, yeah, cause it's important to note he was a young kid. We did know who he was in the end. We went to his parents and sorted him out to a certain extent with, you know, he did have to go to court and he was sentenced to like, I don't know, community service or something like that. So I don't know if it set him on a better path, but I think. Just going to the court systems in Nicaragua was a fascinating experience that I learned a lot in and something I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. But um, that's where we met and that's where uh, I think our friendship really flourished. And, and since then, we've had many adventures together. I mean, we've been to Canada together. And I mean, in fact, right now I'm sitting in Johnny's living room in Chile where I we're having this conversation, which we'll talk about more in a little bit of how we got here. But I think we we found a common bond of the traveling lifestyle and the lifestyle of somebody who really feels that it's important to set your own framework in which you work you live within you know it and and conforming to the status quo of back home is fine for a lot of people and there's comfort in that but I think for both of us there's a a desire to really get out there mix it up and challenge ourselves and face maybe some of those fears that we might have and and design a lifestyle that is is conducive to what is driving us inside. And so I think it's a good time to transition to like where you're at now and what you're doing. And and you're in Chile with your beautiful girlfriend, Fiona, and Fiona, and seems like you're having a great time. Can you talk about like what brought you to Chile, how you got here and what you're doing now professionally to maintain this lifestyle? Yeah, I can talk about all that. No problem. I'll share all the secrets. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, yeah, Nicaragua was um, a two and a half year experience for me on and off. You know, uh, during the off seasons, I tried to travel the world. I went to Australia. I went to Southeast Asia. Um, I went to Hawaii for one period for three months. Um, so after that, I went back to college. You know, I decided that probably time to start using my brain or at least, you know, think about some further edge, not using my brain, but trying to, uh, you know, think about further education opportunities and to build on my growing interest in renewable energies, you know, particularly ocean energy. So uh, I ended up applying for a master's in Scotland, in Orkney, which are the islands off of the, uh, the north coast of Scotland. So they're about 600 miles from the Arctic Circle. So nine days before I moved there was my last day in Nicaragua. So I had uh, absolutely no idea what to expect. You know, I I was actually kind of dreading it, to be honest. Uh, But I ended up moving up to Orkney and it is a fantastic place, like amazing community, great waves. You know, I got a really, really good education. The career prospects up there were pretty good. So I think it was a huge turning point. And obviously I met Fiona there too. So uh, I think the, yeah, I think it was a big turning point for me. So um, yeah, I ended up, I did a master's there for a year. I worked for a local company for almost three years after that. And then um, I guess I was selected by a Scottish government panel, uh, a joint Scottish government and inter-American development bank panel to uh, 
be their first representative for the ocean energy industry based in Washington, D.C. So uh, I was yeah, positioned in Washington for two years just before I came to Chile. Uh, and my role was a pretty cool one. It was to you know, engage with different countries in the Latin America and Caribbean region who were interested in investigating their ocean energy potential. So um, ocean energies is wave energy, tidal energy, but also offshore wind energy. So these are pretty promising uh, emerging forms of renewable energy for lots of these countries, but there's been very little done today to, you know, say, what are the resources? Uh, I tried to characterize, locate them, characterize them, and then kind of develop a plan around their development. So some of the countries that I was working with are, you know, Chile, Barbados, Costa Rica were kind of the three primary ones. I also dealt with people in Trinidad and Tobago, Mexico, uh, Brazil as well. You know, so it's pretty varied, uh, pretty interesting role for a couple of years. I got to travel a lot, and uh, that kind of set the foundation, I guess, for my uh, my long term plan to move to Chile, which is where I find myself today. So that's great. That's great. So just to recap, so you're in the Orkney Islands specializing in tidal energy, if I'm correct. Yeah. And maybe can you just tell our audience a little bit about tidal energy and how that all works? Okay, yeah. And so, why the Orkney Islands? Why are they so significant for tidal energy? Uh, okay, yeah. So um, tidal energy is an emerging field in uh, renewable energy. So basically it involves uh, harnessing the flows, tidal flows around the coast, or extracting energy from uh the water and currents around the coast um, yeah, for the production of sustainable electricity. So uh, people are interested in this particular field of renewable energy because it's different than uh, other forms of renewable energy. So the sun, as we know, shines 12 hours a day, you know, and then it's night for 12 hours a day, or the wind blows when it blows, whereas tidal energy is actually 100% predictable because it's all due to the move, the gravitational effect of the moon and to a lesser extent the sun on the planet's oceans. So you can predict the tidal flow in a specific channel for years in advance. So that's why people are kind of interested in this new field because it can it can balance out the variable the other forms of uh, variable renewable energy, like mainly solar and wind energy. So uh, Orkney is, I guess, a global leader in this field. Uh, it's the home of the European Marine Energy Center. So that's a, a, a test center for wave energy and tidal energy technologies. And it's also home to, I guess, the world's first commercial leasing route. So Scotland is kind of competing with other countries, mainly Canada, France, uh, the rest of the UK, Ireland, and now Chile, to kind of host the development, the early stage development of this industry. So. Uh, certainly five or six years, five years ago when I was there, it really was the heart of the industry at the time. And it was something that I wanted to get into. And that's why I moved there and why I chose to study a master's there. So um, Chile has taken steps now to uh, kind of follow the lead of the other countries. They've just set up an international center of excellence, they call it, in uh, ocean energies. And um, yeah, there's projects and things starting to happen here in Chile as well, So which, which was part of the attraction. Uh, of taking me here. So you were, weren't sent here. You actually chose to be here because of they're at the forefront of this energy field or they're trying to be. And, uh, you felt that with your knowledge, you have something to offer them here. I mean, are you working with Chilean companies or do you have 
um, companies abroad that are you're working with to help with this? Can you explain a little bit of that and how that's going for you? Yeah, I think the primary reason behind uh, my move to Chile, much as with my primary reason to move to Argentina, is to have fun, you know, and to experience a new country. Uh, it's a beautiful place, you know. The climate is fantastic. You have mountains and sea within a hundred miles of each other. Uh, you know, it's safe. It's friendly, you know, it's a fantastic place and somewhere where I've wanted to live for, for quite a while. I guess secondary to that uh, is my career, you know, and um, the work opportunity. But it was, it was certainly a big driver. In it. You know, if, if that didn't, if there wasn't a demand, I guess, for my services in Chile or companies who are interested in entering the market here, I guess I couldn't be here, you know. But I, but I think the primary thing is uh, fundamentally I wanted to be here to be able to surf, to be able to snowboard and to be able to hike and, and enjoy the outdoors as well. So um, in terms of my work, uh, so yeah, I, I, I basically, I guess my 10 years or so or experience throughout the last 10 years in Latin America has kind of given me, uh, you know, I think a unique understanding of the culture. I, I, can, I can speak the language. So for companies in my sector, you know, in the renewable energy space in general, who are interested in entering the Chilean market, uh, I think I can offer them um, some help, you know, to try and understand the market, the potential, the cultural differences. And that's sort of, that's kind of mainly what my work centers around. Now, are you approaching these companies or are you using your past network networks of people that you know to help? fit you with these companies or are you just cold calling people saying i'm in chile can i be of service to you okay yeah luckily i'm not in the cold call bracket you know uh yeah you know, i've been in the industry that i'm in for um six years or so uh like i said i was selected to work with the inter-american development bank in washington so that was as an industry-wide representative so during that two years i made lots of good connections and generally um i think I'm reasonably well known you know so i haven't had to dig too deep in my contact database to uh, to see, you know, to find clients and people who I can work with. So I've been looking in that respect, you know, that I have a little bit of a reputation. I, I think that has helped with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. When I start to have to cold call people, maybe, uh, maybe that changes things a little bit. Understandable. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not a huge sector and, and you were at the, in, in the hub of tidal energy for so long that you made quite a few contacts, which parlay into the opportunities that you have here in Chile. I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool, man. Let's, let's bring it back more to like your personal life here in Chile and, and how that is going for you and Fiona and, and your daily routine, for example. I mean, I, I know you, you, you work here in Chile. Are you doing, you know, eight hour days or are your days kind of, do you structure your own days and how long you work? How does that all mm -hmm. go? Yeah. So I definitely structure my own days. Uh, the companies that I'm working with are in Europe and the United States. So, uh, <coughs> none of us are in the same, same time zone, you know. So, um, in terms, I guess it's really monthly. So I'm based in Maule, which is a region about five hours south of Santiago, whereas Chile, pretty much half of the population lives in Santiago and that's where everything happens. So, uh, I do need to be there for some of the time for face to face meetings and, and, you know, just to get stuff done. So, Basically, about one week out of every month, I'm there for three days, more or less. So the rest of the time, the, the other three weeks of the month, I'm here in my house in Maule, and, and yeah, I completely structure my own hours. So um, yeah, typically, you know, I try to squeeze in a surf, uh, you know, three, four times a week, um, 
trying to have as much time as possible with Fiona and, and our dogs, go do some outdoor activities. And yeah, I guess on a day-to-day basis, I'm probably working on average three to four hours, you know, usually in the afternoons uh, because I'm working with someone on the, you know, on the West Coast of the United States, so the time zone works kind of better there. So yeah, it's usually a busier week once a month when I go to Santiago and then, you know, a couple of busy weeks when I get home and then probably a week where, to be honest, I don't do very much at all. You know, I kind of uh, take the foot off and try and enjoy, try and enjoy our time here. That's great. I mean, I think that's a lifestyle that many of us are trying to accomplish and you've done a good job of that. As far as like your personal relationship with Fiona, has has it been a hard adjustment or is it pretty easy? Has it tested you? Is it is it something that um, you both are finding this experience to be awesome in the same way? Like, can you talk a little about that? Do you feel comfortable talking about that? Yeah, I can talk about it. I'll talk about anything. You know? <laughs> I think that's why you got me on the podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been an interesting experience. So like the first half of my time abroad and, and traveling was, like I say, like as a backpacker with, with a bag on my back going wherever I wanted, you know, so, um, and I didn't really have the surfing association either. So I guess it wasn't even tied to that. So I was pretty free and uh, able and interested to go wherever I want. The second half uh, of my time, I guess, as an expat has been more tied to my career. And also, uh, I've been with Fiona now for uh, three and a half years. So, um, yeah, that changes things. You know, it, it's certainly, I wouldn't, it's just different. It's not any worse or any better. You know, it's, it's, it's just different. It's a different experience, different priorities. Um, so, yeah, in terms of moving to Chile, like we had lived together in, in Orkney, obviously, together, and then in the United States together for two years. And now Chile has kind of been a new experience for us. So Fiona hadn't been to Latin America before, uh, whereas, you know, I spent several years there. So I guess I'm kind of the, the lead on the whole thing. Um, yeah, and it's, it's been an interesting experience. I think a fundamental thing that it comes back to, like we talked about at the start, is the language, you know. So I guess, um, you know, it came, I had a head start, obviously, to start with, but I think languages in general come a little easier to me than maybe with Fiona. She's a lot better than me and things come to her. Other things come to her easier, but language, I guess, is my thing more than hers. So, uh, that's certainly been, um, you know, that's your gateway to understanding the culture and being more integrated into, you know, the local community. So I think for Fiona, we've been here almost a year. She hasn't fully grasped the language, although she's doing a good job. So that's put a little bit of strain on, you know, it hasn't gone as, I guess I was putting my mindset on it. You know, I managed to fit in in Argentina within six months. And I thought that, uh, you know, the same will be possible in Chile because I'd done it before, but maybe, uh, you know, we, we've learned a little bit during the process. So I don't think it's put strain on a relationship, but it's certainly been a, been an interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it brings up a, a very interesting point for a lot of couples who are interested in, in doing what you do, which is that, yeah, people learn at different rates and some people have strengths that the other person doesn't. And it takes a lot of compromise and communication to take this leap that you both have chosen to take into this, this culture and this community and, and, and not just share the experience as a couple, but also pave your own ways through this place. You know, her starting her, she's a massage therapist, I understand, and her getting new Chilean clients, you know, must be difficult and, and just kind of maintaining her own identity as you maintain yours and then also having your identity as a couple. So I think there's a lot of people out there who are, are appreciative of hearing your experience because they are either experiencing it 
or going to experience it. And just to realize that this is normal, natural, and it just really comes down to that, I think, communication factor and, and, under, and understanding each other and letting each other sort of do it on their own and, and, and the best way they can, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. You, relationships are always a lot of work, you know, but I think you learn a lot more when you, you go abroad and you travel together. So yeah, it's just when you're a team or like a couple, one person typically uh, is better than the other at a certain thing, you know? So uh, I think that because I was maybe obviously spoke the language beforehand and um, yeah, maybe I have a little bit of a head start on Fiona in general and that it means that she got to try less and she got less of an immersion than she would have maybe done with somebody else, you know? So, yeah. but then there's, you know, there's hundreds of examples of things where, uh, she certainly takes the lead and, and she really shows how, how it's done on, on, on that. It just so happens that language is the one that I lead on, but it's also very important. I've learned for, uh, for, you know, trying to integrate yourself in, in, in Latin America. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. What type of relationship do you have with your family since you've been gone for so long? Can you talk a little bit about that and how has it, has it, have they been supportive of your, your experiences over the years? Yeah, I have a good relationship with my family. Um, I think the internet has changed a lot. You know, I stay in touch with them. I'm going to Skype my mom in, in an hour, I think. So, uh, the internet has enabled me to stay in touch with my, my family and friends, you know, uh, pretty constantly, really, you know, uh, I think that I've also been lucky in that, uh, Irish people like to travel and I like to live in interesting places. So, um, pretty much everywhere I've been, I've had visitors come out. I've had people. You know, I've had pretty regular contact with people, you know, back at home. So I think that's definitely helped. It's not always nice, you know, to be, um, you know, to be abroad when things are happening at home. My dad had some health issues. You know, I tried to get at home as much as possible to help him through that. But, you know, so far, so good. And, um, yeah, I think everyone, you know, I don't think there's been any real damage in my family uh, from me living abroad for that long. Like my parents as well you know, they kind of did the same thing. My dad moved to London when he was 16. He lived there for 10, 12. He lived, lived there for 10 years, lived in Germany for two years before coming back to Ireland. So uh, my mom as well didn't live at home for a long time. So I think they understand where I'm coming from. I think it's just in our genes to, to travel and explore. But that said, you know, I don't know if the life abroad, especially somewhere as far away as Chile, you know, it's pretty much the opposite side of the planet, as far away as you can get from my home country and from Fiona's. So maybe as time goes on, uh, you know, if situations change at home or whatever, somewhere, somewhere closer to home will be more appealing, I think. But for the moment and until now, it's, it's been a good thing. My parents were out here just, just a month ago for, for two, three weeks. They had an awesome time. And, um, yeah, I'm sure I'll see them again in, in, in you know, maybe the middle of next year or something like that. So that's great. Okay. That's great. That's awesome, man. Are there any sacrifices that you've had to make over the years, um, to live this type of lifestyle? And if so, what were they? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess sacrifice on a daily basis, you know. <laughs> we're in a remote location. You know, we don't have a cinema to go to. There's not really, you know, there's, there's a bar or two, but, you know, it's not exactly, uh, you know, the hippest scene uh, down there in, in, in my local town. But, um, yeah, I guess there's, there's daily sacrifices, you know, practical things like, I don't know, the quality of your internet service or having your TV in English or whatever kind of small things like that you know, you just kind of got to live with them. And, and that's like part of the price you pay, I think, for being uh, somewhere that you want to be, you know, that's quite, quite far away and remote. Uh, I think more generally when I was traveling, you know, as a backpacker more, there's lots more 
practical examples. You know, my, my philosophy was, you know, travel, travel for a long time, you know, and try and see as much as you can, but, you know, financial resources are limited, you know, so some people would prefer to come out and travel around the whole of South America in three months, you know, and try and do all the main sites and, you know, that's it, done for them, you know, whereas my goal was more to spend a longer time, get to know the local culture, do kind of random or obscure things, you know, which often turn out to be the best. Like it's, it's often that the biggest, most expensive tourist attractions aren't really your best experience. You know, I don't think you could buy the best experiences, you know, in, in my opinion. So yeah, I think, you know, I try to maybe make, you know, I think I traveled for, for four years on about 14,000 euros, you know, was the total amount that I spent, you know, but by doing that, I had to sacrifice a lot, you know, so I didn't go to, I was in Peru, but I didn't go to Machu Picchu. Like I hung out on the beach in a shack probably, you know, or, uh, you know, there's lots of examples uh, of things that I did that I wasn't able to do when I was traveling, but by not doing those, it enabled me to, have to, to travel for longer and have a more in-depth experience. I think. Yeah. I think that's very valuable, um, for our listeners to hear because, um, I think I'm the same in many ways where instead of say taking that flight from, Rio to Bolivia or wherever you said you went, you took that, that long boat, Mm -hmm. you know, with the locals up the Amazon, which isn't comfortable probably, but at the same time you met and and encountered people in situations that you would have never gotten had you bypassed that, you know, and not to take anything away from the Machu Picchu experience, but there is something to be said for those, those hardships and those sacrifices that you do make. Those are the ones that you will always remember. Those are the ones that I remember where it's just being caught in the rain for eight hours on a hike or something like that to get just a few miles away or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, which is, I met some old man. I had a weird conversation with him. And then I learned that he makes coconut oil. Therefore now I have a coconut oil supplier to, <laughs> to, to my, my camp in Nicaragua. I don't know. But, um, yeah, and just two different styles of traveling. There's nothing wrong with spending the money because sometimes people just, just have a small amount of time. They love their profession back wherever they come from. They have, you know, a solid lifestyle and they just want to come taste the culture and leave. But mm-hmm. I think it really bring it really shows the psychology of an expatriate, somebody who's chosen this lifestyle that they're willing to sacrifice those, I guess, touristic experiences that like hundreds of thousand people come to every year to have just to actually spend time in that culture for a longer period of time mm-hmm. and really absorb it and feel it and, and know it. Yeah. You know? I think my experience was always, uh, I tra- I guess we're all travelers, but I was quite different. You know, I would go to a country, explore a little bit or do my research, but then pick a place and live in it. You know, um, I guess the surfing has a lot to do with it, you know, because you want to be near the ocean or whatever, but, uh, I think that's how I did it, but that actually keeps the cost down, you know. So go to a country, pick a nice place that you think would be interesting, live there and try and work, you know. So cover your costs while you're there and then use your kind of broader travel fund to move on and, and do the next thing. So I think that's much more uh, sustainable financially. And for me, it was, it was more interesting, but it's just like you say, we're all travelers. It's just different types of travelers. Like uh, if you offered me a chance to go on a, hundred grand all around the world for a year trip right now, I'd certainly take it, you know, but it's just, uh, making the most of what you've got, you know, and trying to to plan ahead correctly and, um, yeah, enjoy the experience. Nice. 
Do you have uh, any advice for, for people who are interested in, in doing what you're doing or is traveling in general just kind of like some tips from a seasoned traveler you would like to throw out there and, and plant the seeds in people's mind about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, um, I guess you want to have a plan in general, but you don't want to plan too much that it's not fun and you can't be spontaneous, you know? So, uh, yeah, like, I think if you can have a general plan of where you're going to, where you like, and where you want to end up, not just like literally, you know, in terms of like your personal development or whatever, uh, I think that's helpful, you know? So my life, I am a big football or soccer fan. So I try and, uh, or the way it's just worked out, I guess it's like in World Cups. It's these kind of four-year blocks, you know, where I was travel for four years or work for four years. Now I'm trying to, I'm doing like renewable energy consulting stuff for four years. So I think that's the broader kind of framework or plan. But then within that, try not to plan too much at all, you know, and just be spontaneous and, and try and go with, uh, you know, try and try and go with whatever feels right or whatever feels natural. I, I think that's kind of one of the main things, you know. So when we moved to Chile here, we took our time to explore around the country and see different places and make a decision on where we wanted to live. Eventually, we settled on Maui. But I'm still certainly going to stick with the original plan, you know, to stay for three, four years or whatever until the next World Cup rolls around. <laughs> nice. You know, that kind of idea? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I think another one, you know, I don't think this applies to just straight backpackers necessarily, but... I think if you're interested in living abroad as a professional, I think you need to think about how the things that you're doing now will appear to other people in the future. You know, so if you're moving to somewhere and all you want to do is surf or whatever, it's still useful to think about how, like what other activities that you can do when you're there um, and how you can kind of express that to other people later. So, you obviously don't say, well, I went there just to surf, you know, it's like I went there to learn Spanish or to be involved in this project or to, to do this, this and this, you know. So mm-hmm. I think as you're moving along and progressing through your, tra- your travel, I think it's important, I guess, for yourself too. But just think about how if you're trying to apply for a job in the future or get clients for whatever business you might have, you know, it's important to appear like you, you haven't just been like scratching your ass on a beach, you know, like that you've actually been... Um, you know, you've had a plan all along and, you know, that, that it looks in the best possible light. That's yeah, that's, kind of that's the two main advice. pieces of, of, of advice that I would, that I would give, you know, to, to travelers. Yeah. That's great advice. Great advice. Anything about Chile that you'd like to let people know about that you found especially unique and interesting and things you like about it? Yeah. Chile is a, a wonderful place. You know, I think, um, Fiona didn't get to travel as much as I did. So the kind of idea, another attraction of Chile was that in one country, you can see so much. You, you can basically see everything except for tropical jungle. Um, so you can see deserts, high mountains, forests, glaciers, the ocean, you know, Antarctica, you know, there's part of it. So in one country, you've got like an incredible variety of stuff to see. So I think that's one thing that really stands out. You know, it's really safe. It's peaceful. The climate is amazing. Um, yeah, it's just, it, 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 it's also pretty vibrant and buoyant economically too. So, um, yeah, that's, I would encourage people to check it out. Uh, especially, you know, if you, if, if you want to see lots of things in one different place, you know, here, Ecuador is another country kind of has the same kind of thing. So yeah, that's what, that's what kind of stands out to me. Great. Great. What, uh, what's next for you and, uh, this path you've chosen as an expatriate? What, uh, what do you think is going to happen next? 
you never know, you know. So I did just say I'm kind of contradicting myself. I did just say you try and stick within the four. I try and stick within the four year blocks, but um, uh, I'm not. Sh- I'm not quite sure. You know, we're certainly going to stay in Chile, and, and things are going pretty well at the moment. They're going. They're going very well at the moment. Um, but maybe the next trip is, or maybe the next stage is somewhere a little closer to home. You know, so I've been abroad for yeah, ten and a half out of the last twelve years. So. Uh, even though I said like, the, the strain on the family has not been too much, I think it would be nice to uh, to go back and be a little bit closer to them. So um, I think that might tie in with other grown-up stuff like starting a family and, and, and that kind of thing too. So uh, I do think that travel and Latin America in particular will always be a big part of my life. Um, certainly moving closer to home, I'm not going to sever all ties. And I would hope that uh, my experience to date um, – you know, and how the workplace has evolved, uh, I think should still allow me to be involved in projects over here in Latin America and also, um, you know, to travel, you know, mm-hmm. travel quite frequently. Every job I've done professionally has involved a lot of travel. So, yeah, I guess the hope or the, the next stage uh, is probably to move closer to home, either Fiona's family or mine. And, um, yeah, but still retain that connection. And then after that four-year block, I'm pretty sure I'll have a really, really strong itch to come back to Latin America again. So, uh, so that's probably where it's headed, you know, in, in my opinion. How do you feel about having a family, raising a family in this type of environment? What are the environments that you encounter on your travels? Like, was that, was that, would that be something you'd be willing to do? Have children in Chile, raise them in Chile? Yeah. Uh, again, like in four year blocks, you know, so I think till the kid is four. It's fine. You can do whatever you want, you know. Uh, then, then when the kid starts school, you have to start to think about that, you know. So, but then by the time the kid is eight, you know, they're starting to form friends that they might have for life, you know. So you got to think carefully about pulling them out of that environment, and even more so again at twelve, you know. So that really is like you know, I'm sure you have friends you've known since you were twelve. I certainly do, you know. So if you start to uproot children at that point, you know, it, it could, could have some, you know, undesired consequences, or it's pretty, it's pretty tough on them. So, uh, I think raising, I think you could raise a, a baby anywhere, you know, um, I don't think it matters necessarily, especially here is a developed country, you know, it has a good healthcare system um, maybe not as developed as, as, as Europe or North America, but it's still good by international standards. So, uh, I think for the four, first four years, um, you've, you've, you've got more flexibility than maybe, maybe people think, but that said, I'm, I'm not a dad yet. So, uh, so I don't know how it goes. Maybe it's going to change. Uh, maybe I don't have the say on that, you know, who, who knows? But, uh, yeah, I think for the first four years, you, you're pretty free still. And then, uh, less so as time goes on. That's great, Johnny. I mean, really good sound advice, great stories. Thank you for sharing your life with us here on the first, uh, Misfits and Rejects podcast. And, uh, bet, wish you all the best, best wishes to you and Fiona in your next adventure. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.